Hello, I am James Woodcock and welcome to episode two of James and Tony's Bits and Bobs podcast, where we discuss all things gaming, gadgets and technology. This is basically a nice conversation without the fluff of mass editing, intro tracks and so on. In fact, the only scripted bit is this introduction. So nice to speak to you again, Tony. Hello there, how are you doing? I'm very well, considering the interesting circumstances we find ourselves in. Yeah, yeah, how's the lockdown, lockdown going? Well, thankfully, back to my freelancing days, I'm quite accustomed to working from home and not venturing to the great outdoors that often. So, you know, it's not too big of an adjustment for me. And uh, you've been working from home for quite some time as well. So I think you're probably quite settled as well. It's like the same, really. Everyone else is freaking out. And now we're going to survive this. We're like, it's, it's just normal. The only difference is you can't go to the pub in the evening afterwards. That's 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 the that's a big problem. Uh, Apart from that, it's all right. Well, wait till you t- we see what my next guest has to tell us. So with us today is an extra individual who has snuck on, who has been kind enough to join us. Well known for his work with Sumo Digital and Sega. Welcome to the show, Steve Lysett. Hello. Nice, nice to meet you all. Who's in the best position of us all, because he's literally sat in front of his beer fridge. <laughs> so, so yes, I, I am slowly getting used to working from home. Um, this is not something which is usual for me, so you guys have obviously got a lot more experience. Um, so now I'm, I'm finding it interesting because it, it's quite a challenge to get dressed every morning, is one of the things I'm finding. Uh, and it's also a challenge not to just sit and drink beer all day. <laughs> I'm managing to resist. Yeah, yeah. Wow. How do we follow on from that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Trick is to go out for your little walk that you're allowed. And then you have, it's best to get dressed for that. Yeah, you see, it's, I, I will get dressed like a grown-up slightly later on today, I think. Yeah. I'll cut the grass. Can't cut the grass in my pyjamas. I should, I should add, I am clothed, just not in my workwear. <laughs> yes, because we're actually seeing each other with video here, just so we can sort of interact better with us each other. But we're just recording the audio, so I'm very grateful that Steve is in dressed, <laughs> indeed dressed for this occasion. So, Tony, I believe you have a ZX Spectrum next. I was going to say that's that's about the only interesting thing that's happened recently. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I do indeed. It's sat, it's sat right next to me, and a very nice thing it is too. It's a very um, uh, you know, you, you you see the Kickstarter and you go, oh, that, you know, that looks good. It should be, should be a laugh. You know, we'll give it give it a go and see what happens. And uh, you know, many many years have passed since that, but it, the thing comes through the post and it, it really is um, quite impressive. You know, it's it's super professional. The whole thing. It's it's just like uh, you know, you wouldn't think it was a kick a little Kickstarter that some guys have put together. It, it looks like something that's come from a, a big league manufacturer. You know, in many ways, the box and stuff is is better than. Um, the originals you know because it's 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 tough and solid and the manual's lovely and it, it it's 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 way above expectation yeah so did you have the original zx spectrum in the day you know what i didn't i i, I mean i i first saw zx81s and i thought i'll have one of those and then started saving up and then people started getting spectrums and i and you know, obviously we, we all knew about spectrums, but uh, I went a different way. I got got a strange thing called a computer's links, um, which which was a, an alternative sort of um, thing was around at the time. I figured it was better for programming on, so I, I, I got one of those instead of a spectrum. But later when I started working, I, I was working on spectrums and I got one then, but I wasn't in right at the beginning. Wow. So which which one of the next have you gone for? Have you gone for the stock one or have you gone the accelerated one or? I got the middle one, the one with Wi-Fi. 
Oh, cool. I couldn't understand what the uh, what the accelerated thing was actually going to do for me. So I thought uh, I thought I'd go the, the slightly slightly not not the cheapest, but not the not the, not the not most expensive. <laughs> most expensive either. No, um, I haven't actually got the Wi-Fi working yet on it, so I, I still don't really know what that does. But uh, it looks good. I mean, I think you, you can connect it to some some sort of bulletin board thing, can't you? I think I've seen people doing that. So if I can yeah. figure out how to do that, I'll, I'll give it a give it a go. This yeah, sounds like a wonderfully geeky thing to do, indeed. Well, it connects into a BBS with a Spectrum. It's 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 pretty hardcore, is that? It's pretty hardcore, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still waiting for my because again, I ordered it, um, and it's and I've watched the trials and tribulations of it coming out, and you know. The difference for this, for me, is that I've watched them desperately try and make it better all the way through. You know, they've, they've looked at making sure it supports different Spectrum clones. They've made sure it's, you know, the keyboard is absolute top quality. Uh, and it's, I'm really excited for it, but uh, I have no idea when it's coming. So uh, it might even be in the office right now. It should be, yeah. A lot of people have got the accelerated this week, so it won't be far off if, you, if it's not there already. Oh, well, fingers crossed it's not going to be too long. I think they've gone out. So yeah, I mean, it would be it must be super frustrating to have to wait. Um, you know, you, you you got the best one, and and they delivered them last. And there's a good couple of good two or three weeks, wasn't there, between that one and the middle one? So uh, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. I feel your pain. So I, mean, for- I know for me, I'll set it up and I'll probably play Manic Miner, and that'll be the first thing I do. <laughs> so. Yeah, we'll see. Set it up, play some old games, and then then have a think about um, what what you're really going to do on it. So, did you have one back in the day, Steve? Oh God, yeah. So uh, my my dad was always into computers. So the first thing he got was he built like he used to buy electric magazines, electronics magazines, I should say. So he built his first version of Pong. He got some chips from somewhere and some potentiometers and put this thing together. Uh, and so we'd always had computers as kids. And I remember he bought the ZX81 and he built that from a kit as well because you could buy it in kit form. Mm. Uh, and the Spectrum was the, the next step on from there. So I've always had computers around as a kid and he was really into it. And that's kind of, guess, how I got into it. So yeah, but Spectrum, definitely Spectrum. You know, not, not the Commodore things. <laughs> Tell the Amiga. So Tony, if you didn't have one back in the day, what was it about this particular version that went, oh, I've got to have this? Well, I mean, I didn't have one uh, back in the day because I kind of skipped and went went this alternate route. But uh, I, I, I'm still a, bit, a big Sinclair fan, you know. So, I mean, I've got them now. I've got like a boxed, a really nice boxed Spectrum 48 and a boxed ZX81 and all this sort of thing. So I'm, I'm kind of, and I'm looking for a QL, you know, in, in, a, in a good in a good condition box. So I'm kind of a collector now and I kind of see the Sinclair thing as being pivotal and important and sort of a big cultural of a big of big in cultural importance you know so the, the next just seemed like it seemed like the thing to do is, is just part of that experience you know and i like the idea of having having maybe doing some programming on it i, I need to figure out how to do it it's like i mean a lot of people are they're, they're just getting the machine and coding on it and to me that seems a little bit it seems a little bit like hard work really i kind of want to because when, when we when we were programming spectrum games we used a system called pds where you 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 run a you had a pc compatible and it all you know you had your assembler on that and you press a button and it would shoot this shoot the thing down a wire and the spectrum would run it and it was the best dev system i've ever used to be honest even even now so i, I kind of want to do the same thing and i don't know if i don't know if you can do it i assume you can but i haven't i haven't figured it out yet 
there must be a way. Yeah, I, I know my my friend he's, he's got his and he's been looking at it and I think he's got a cross compiler. So I don't know how he's squirting it down, whether he's doing it over Wi Fi or serial. Yeah. Uh, but no, you can do it. I think you must be able to do it. Yeah. So I, I need to figure that out. When, when everything calms down and I've got, got five minutes, I'll. Um, I'll figure out how to do it, and then, 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 then you know, then we're away, aren't we? Then we can do something interesting. And if you've got anything in mind of what you'd like to do, that will be considered interesting for Tony. Uh, that's 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 going to be the problem. The problem. What I tend to do is I think, oh, here's an here's a nice idea, then it, then I build on it and build on it, and it, it grows out of control, and then it, and it's like, oh well, it looks like a bit. Bit, bit much work i'll put it i'll just put it by for five minutes and uh, think about it and then it never happens you know so <laughs> it's a case of thinking up something realistic i don't know maybe i could pick one of my old games and 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 see if i can kind of do an enhanced version of something like that ah. yeah, maybe Deathstalker, although i don't have the rights anymore I sold them to code masters maybe i should write to code masters and say please give me the rights back <laughs> i think you should if this is something that's going to take you a little, you know, five minutes to do though, if you're going to spend the next 10 years redeveloping this game, maybe it's not the one project for you, Tony. Yeah, that's, that's the danger with it. That it, it gets, gets carried away. So, yeah, I don't think there's any commercial worth in it either. So, um, you know, it would be, you'd be foolish to put too much effort into it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, there's, there's quite a few games that you're coming out and, and people are charging, you know, five or 10 pounds from. You, you, you're never going to get rich off the back of it, but there seems to be some yeah. kind of market there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's true. That's true. I mean, if I think I'd be a bit more enthusiastic if it if it kind of went into a you know if they did the second Kickstarter and then it and then they said, wow, this is really a thing, and and they just started making them, you know, and you could buy them on Amazon because I I think they could do that. I mean, I I think it's it's a legitimate product and they they should just start manufacturing them and and, and selling them all the time, you know. And then yeah. then I think it'd be something you could really really put your head down and, and think about trying to trying to be part of how that how that how that ecosystem builds you know mm. if, that, if that makes sense it does indeed well for the last few weeks my enhanced soundtracks i've put through woocommerce so i'm not charging for them still they're completely free but it means i can see actually how many have been downloaded each day and with which titles that just gives me a bit more visibility of what's happening and I was quite surprised how many people were downloading the soundtracks. And right. it's a bit of a toss-up at the minute between Discworld and Beneath a Steel Sky, of which one's actually getting the most downloads out of the six I've got currently available. But if that's anything to go by, and from the retro events I've been going to, and the YouTube videos I see online where they're repairing old machines and bringing new life into them, it seems to be changing capacitors and replacing batteries is always the <laughs> point of order with these things. But yeah. there seems to be a real interest in retro nostalgia, probably more now than I've seen in a long time, if not ever. And there's always been that nostalgic bent where we'll buy some remastered edition or some sequel release and we'll delve into it, hoping to relieve some of what we see as the glory days. But I think now more than ever, even people who didn't see it the first time around are going, oh, this pixel art stuff and these inventive, oh, I can actually see where sort of modern games have got a lot of the inspirations from. I want to try this. Yeah. And they generally seem to be enjoying it. And I think certainly now more than ever, this is the time to, if you're going to do a remaster or a sequel, 
based on these things is a very good time to do it. As long as obviously the heart and soul goes into the project and it's just not a money spinner. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right about, about retro, really. And that, that, that feeds back into the point I, I was trying to make with the next, you know, rather than, rather than seeing it as uh, just a curiosity made for, made for people that are hardcore fans of the first one, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's legitimate in its own right. And it'd be good to see that, that whole retro scene become just a scene, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just exists for, for, because it's legitimate, you know. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, I like, uh, I'm laughing because, I bought a PC Engine Mini. <laughs> that, that didn't end well. Uh, but again, it, it was the fact that I've got an original one upstairs, uh, but nice. I'm, I'm scared of plugging it in just in case the thing bursts into flames or the capacitors <laughs> have died or, or whatever it turns out to be. And I, and I think there's a real market for that stuff at the minute because it's a, a modern piece of hardware that will let you play those older games and plug it to a modern TV and you don't have to worry about, you know, stuff dying or burning out. Uh, although... Having said that, I got it in the control that doesn't work. <laughs> so, oh, no. Got to go back to Japan. Uh, but yeah, this, you see it and, and, you know, the minis are coming out and the next, I think, is really useful and interesting because at least that's a machine you can develop on versus, you know, something like the SNES Mini or the PC Engine Mini where, you know, you, you're kind of locked into the games which were available kind of back then. And it, and it feels like there's a, an interest there in the market there for people to, to kind of make new stuff and put it out there. So yeah, no, it's interesting to see where it goes. It's a good contrast to all this AAA stuff, isn't it? You know? Well, yeah. totally. I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of what I do day in, day out working for Sumo. Um, and it, you know, when it gets to a certain scale, I don't, I don't want to say the creativity kind of falls out, but you have to just be that little bit safer in terms of what it is you're making and what you're doing. And it, and it is driven by, you know, executives and people are going like, you know, is this definitely going to make a return and make sure it's super safe. Whereas on the older stuff, you know, people could be a little bit more avant-garde and just come up with something which is like way, way out there. Uh, yeah. I always find that that interesting, you know, I play as many indie games as I do kind of commercial releases just because of that interesting qualities that you get from an indie game. It's very experimental back in the day, wasn't it? And you, you know, you'd buy your, you'd buy your copy of Crash and you, you, you could get a big surprise. You know, someone, someone might have done something that you'd not seen before. And that was the excitement, I think. Oh, totally. I mean, like, uh, still one of the formative games I remember is uh, Deus Ex Machina, which was uh, <laughs> like a concept album, the best way to describe it, with a, a soundtrack and just a random set of cutscenes attached to it, and you played the way through it. Uh, and, you, you know, you look now, you think, I can't imagine anything which is kind of like that these days. Is that the Pie Man thing? Yeah, it was a Mel Croucher kind of thing. To- totally bonkers, you know. He got a soundtrack with like Ian Drury on it and John Pertwee's the narrator. And <laughs> look, look it up if you've never seen it. It's properly out there. Yeah, yeah, I remember all that. They used to take an advert every on the back, I think, of Personal Computer News, was it? Every week? Something like that. There was always an advert by those guys. And um, yeah, I remember the last one ever. And it was because it was, it, it was a cartoon, wasn't it? The, the adverts were like cartoon form. Yeah, it was, it was the Pie Man, weren't it? Yeah, and the last one ever, it was, it was a little lad and saying to his dad, Daddy, who, who was the Pie Man? <laughs> <laughs> so I how, remember it so distinctly. So how does this work then? We've got all this power in next generation systems. We're getting a purported 12 teraflops coming around the corner as well. And yet back in the day when we had limited memory and limited capabilities, this was probably the period where we were pushing new boundaries and being more experimental. How do you think that is? Is it purely commercial or do you think there's more behind it? It's well, for me, it's kind of hard to say. It's, 
you know, I look at, I look at the new consoles and while it's exciting that we're going to get all this new power and stuff, they, they are effectively new PCs <laughs> as much as I hate to say it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we, we've had lots of power in gaming systems beforehand. Uh, and like I say, you, you've got to find someone who's you're willing to work with or, you know, is willing to work with you and come up with something which is a little bit out of the ordinary. Uh, I mean, I, I look at it like music, you know, music's now become very much a, a package thing. You know what you're kind of getting, uh, especially commercial music. There's, it's very safe. And, and a lot of commercial games to me feel very kind of safe, which is why I, I particularly at the moment, you know, I like to look at indie stuff because the indie stuff is where it's a little bit, you know, you can be a bit more avant-garde and be a bit more interested in that kind of play. Bit like being in a band, wasn't it? Right, you, you get together with your mates and say, "Let's write a game." You know, and someone was good at graphics, and someone was good at sound, and someone was good at programming, and you'd just come up with something crazy, you know, based on what what you wanted to play, and you didn't really you didn't really have to worry about the commercial side of it. You know, if, if it was good, you know, one of the publishers would take it, and you you do all right. You know, mm, completely. Maybe maybe this scene, this this, this retro scene, is going to grow up, and it, it's going to be. And if it is legitimate and it is self-sustaining, then it could be the source of, of where new ideas are really going to come from again. Well, I mean, I'd like to see that personally. You know, it's get something which is a little bit out of there and a bit more unusual. So to bring I mean, some kudos back to the modern then, I know something you've been trying, Steve, is Half-Life Alex. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Okay, so when we're talking about sort of next-gen, this is probably as next-gen PC as you can get right now. It, yeah, I mean, that's... So it's kind of interesting, Half-Life, Alex, in, in so much as I really enjoyed it, and I, and I've, I have finished it now. Uh, I won't ruin the ending, don't worry. Um, and what's brilliant about that, there's, a, there's almost like a restraint to it. They've, they've chosen to do certain things and do those really well, rather than go, you know, every five minutes for a new idea that year. It, it keeps using the same kind of ideas over and over again. But the, the thing which really works for it is, it's so grounded. When you're in there, it kind of works how you'd expect. So if you want to pick something up, it, it works how you expect. If you want to reload your guns or, you know, you want to open a door or something, you, you literally just do it as if you were in real life. And I got to the point with it where I was playing along. and Because you, you can only use your hands, obviously, because you've got hand controllers. Well, I wanted to shut a drawer, so I tried to kick it with my foot. And I realized I'd been sucking in by it so much. <laughs> that I expected that to work, and I was a bit upset when it didn't. <laughs> so many controllers attached to your feet now so we'll pick that up well, for this you. Is, <laughs> well this is it I mean it, it's, it's kind of crazy because again you've only got hands and hands with a gun and you can open a door you can pull it up you can grab all this stuff if you've got your gun there's a little hole in it you can just poke the end of the gun in it and pull that back and it, it all just works and you know there's, there's a number of times in that game where you, you have got kind of an inventory you can only store like one item per hand but once you've done that, you realize I could just pick something up if I wanted to. So the, so the classic example I saw recently was a guy going like, oh, it's not fair, I can't carry all these grenades I keep finding. And somebody went, here's a milk crate you can pick up in game. Just put the grenades in the milk crate and then carry the milk crate with you. Which was like, uh, oh my God, that actually works. And it, so, so it was kind of fascinating. Like, you know, oh, if you just fought a bit laterally, that's actually quite clever. But no, I, I'd highly recommend it to anyone. I know a lot of people are, are kind of upset because, you know, they want to play Half-Life, next Half-Life, and they want to play it on a, on a standard PC. But I don't think it'll work outside of VR. It's, it's designed for VR, you know, the way for you to interact with stuff, and to move with stuff, and, you know, for you to be within that world. So, uh, 
so yeah, it's a bit of a shame if you haven't got it, obviously, but uh, I'd highly recommend, you know, getting the kit to do so. So which VR headset are you using? Uh, so in my case, I've got an Oculus Quest. Um, and, I, and I bought that at Christmas because I was kind of curious to see, you know, what, what the state of the art was. Uh, and also because they'd said they were going to do the Oculus Link where you can effectively connect the headset to your PC and use it as a PC headset. Uh, and it's uh, and it just works. It, it's kind of flawless, you know. It, the technology is not quite there yet. I think it's still still getting better. But you know, in terms of like a, a VR implementation which works, it's actually pretty well buttoned down. Uh, but the thing which I found interesting was, as I played it with Oculus Quest, which was Oculus Link, sorry, where it was connected to the PC, and there's a there's a piece of software called Virtual Desktop, and if you install that, you can stream from your PC to your headset without any cables. And it works as well, if not better, than the official Oculus Link stuff. And what, what was fascinating is that I kind of played through the whole game wired to the computer. Then I tried it again from the start wirelessly. And all of a sudden, not only can you interact by you know moving around with the controllers and picking things up and doing stuff, but now you can actually just wander around. So you know, you're not wired to anything, so you can move. And it becomes so much easier to open doors and do things because you've got that freedom of movement than you would have done if you'd have been cabled up. So again, you know, it's you can see it moving to a point where that might become more mainstream if you're not going to be connected up. But it's, I right, see. I honestly, I, I highly recommend it. It's one of those things like it's hard to de- to describe because you've got you kind of got to try it, <laughs> and it's not it's not straightforward to just go and try. It. I mean, if you it's the thing with VR, you know, they're selling lots of headsets, but you can't walk into a shop and just try one on and see what it's like and, and get it. Uh, and I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's ever going to take over from, you know, your PlayStation 5s, your Xbox One, Series X and all the rest of it. It's just a different way of playing games. You know, it's like when I see a movie in 3D rather than going to see a 2D movie. It's just, it's like a, I don't know, just a different niche of games, basically. Yeah, I think what blew me away was actually watching someone reloading the gun and actually doing all the movements of changing the clip. But not only that, I think we get lazy in first-person shooters. We hit the reload button at any point just because then we're prepared for whoever may appear around the corner. But if you look at the ammo numbers, it never actually takes more ammo than what is being replaced. But in it would seem in Half-Life Alex, if you're reloading a bit earlier, you lose the ammo that was in that clip. You do, yeah. And it's, it's quite clever because it, it teaches you to conserve it. I mean, the mad thing is the Half-Life, I would consider it like a sci-fi adventure, but Alex is much more... It's almost survival horror, for want of a better phrase. You, you're always careful about the resources you've got. Um, and <laughs> reloading the gun, man. Number of times they eject the clip, because what you have to do is eject the clip, you put the next clip in, but then you have to kind of cock the pistol as well. The number of times I forgot to cock the pistol and then I'm busily trying to shoot something, it's like, oh my God. And so, you know, you, you've got that to contend with as well. And then just trying to shoot something in VR as well. It's not like you get used to and say like uh, you play modern duty, like Call of Duty or something like that, where it's easy to hit like a barn door in that because you know it's got auto aim, it focuses for you. In this, you physically have to aim, and most of the time, what you find yourself doing is literally looking down the gun uh, as if it was real life. So, I won't say it's made me a crack shot. I very much suspect it probably hasn't, but it's it's more immersive and more realistic, and it's and that's what I mean. It does those things really, really well. It might not, you know put you into the consoles, flying a spaceship or, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the, the small things it gets, like opening a door and picking up a weapon and cocking a weapon, it just nails completely. Mm. Presumably it's a bit of a game changer for VR, really, because VR's kind of been treading water, hasn't it? Well, this is it. I mean, the, I think 
a lot of the time people look at VR and to make a game, something like Half-Life, you know, you've got to be, <laughs> somebody's got to fund you fairly well. And in, in Valve's case, you know, they don't have to worry about pleasing some shareholders. They've decided they're going to make this thing and they've, they've put the, the bikes into it and made an absolutely brilliant game. But whether it's commercially viable, I, I, I just don't know. Do we I mean, have it, to spend? Well, they, I, who knows? It must have, must have took them a while. I mean, I imagine they've been working on it for about four to five years and it's probably cost them a load of money. There's no two ways about it. I mean, you know, that's, that's the thing, you know, I've, I've played a lot of games on VR because I've got PlayStation VR as well. And where, if you want something long and in-depth, take something like Skyrim, for example, the VR version of that, it almost feels like you have to do an existing commercial game and add the VR to it in order to get that length and that depth you'd expect from your kind of traditional large adventure game. It's not something you can necessarily just develop yourself, unless, of course, you know, something like, let's say... Uh, as God's wrath, where you know you, you're bankrolled by someone like Facebook, who who want to put titles out there to kind of encourage people into the ecosystem. So yeah, it's it's fascinating. You know, maybe maybe this will be the last great big VR game. Who knows? Uh, maybe this will set the market alight and people will will flock to it in the droves. I, I'm I'm not personally convinced they will, uh, but well, you know, let's wait and see. Yeah, depends 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 how many copies or how many people are playing it. You know. I have a feeling that it might just open people's eyes a bit and and, and actually start something start something from this because you can see how they've done it and you can build on that you know. Oh yeah, and, and again, you know, like all all kind of great games which are trailblazers, you know, like something like Mario sixty four with camera controls and things like that. They've spent a lot of time on this, thinking about problems that people have. So you know, pulling clips out, the idea that you pull it from behind the back of your head and it must know the controller's got a certain thing. Really nice, smooth and easy mechanic. You know, you can't imagine now playing a game where you'd have to drop into a menu and, uh, you know, pick what weapons it is you want to load out and the rest of it. It's just smooth and simple. Yeah. So kudos to them for kind of optimizing that as well. It's it's quite clever. Yeah. I wonder if it's like, you know, when Doom came out, like they solved, they, they just solved those problems, didn't they? And, and then six months later, everyone was working on the Doom clone. <laughs> yeah, totally. Some yeah. more successful think, than others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But everyone, and you know, it, and you'll always get that where something is like a, a landmark title, but others feel they need to copy, you know, to 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 continue making money because they think you know that's where the market's going. Everyone chases after it. But it, to, to me, it's always one of those things where they've kind of missed the point a little bit. You know, it's that game is there and, it, and it's big, and you know, you might try and copy it to emulate its success and hope you can get some portion of the market, but. Certainly, what makes those things is they are innovative and they, they're different from stuff which is in the market at that time. And it just comes and takes people by surprise and, and blows them away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you can surprise people, then you're on to a winner, aren't you? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Friends of mine were playing it and they, they were they were saying, well, they'd been on it like four or five hours or something like that. And then they came back out into real life and they were trying to, they were actually trying to do the thing where you click and jump forward. <laughs> Yeah, totally. No, it's it's funny. It's like uh, I always liken it to riding the bike down the motorway. Like when you come off the motorway, suddenly you've got to slow down and do thirty mile an hour again. And it's like, oh, just a mental adjustment. And and again, coming out of the eyes a little bit like that at times. Yeah, yeah. I remember talking to a developer years ago who was uh, involved with Train Simulator series. And he says, I remember wow. driving along one day, looking up at the sky, thinking, oh, that's rendered beautifully. <laughs> 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 I 
like train sim. It's like a guilty pleasure train sim. I do like train sim. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who do enjoy it, but probably not that necessarily that vocal about it, unfortunately. <laughs> Oh man, no, no. The, the thing that I play a lot of and they, they find hilarious at work is uh, American Truck Simulator or Euro Truck Simulator. And I think that's brilliant. It's it's calming, it's relaxing. You're, you're driving your big lorry down the road, listening to the radio. And people go like, why do you play that? It's like, well, it's sort of like a leap where I get to have a drive. <laughs> uh, especially right now when I can't get out of the house. It's almost like an escape. <laughs> and the traffic is still as annoying. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, but you can just ram it off the road in Truck Simulator. You don't get done for that. I think you get fine, don't you? Well, you get a fine, but it's not like you get Okay, re- yeah, in real life, okay, you'd be pulled over, dragged to the floor and cuffed, but okay, yes, you get just get a fine. But still, you're punished for it. You are, well, yeah, but you know, it depends how much money you've got, you know. So. Oh, well, look at you, Mr. Yeah. Snob. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because like, I have literally played it for hours. Uh, and, it, you know, and it's like a $50 fine or whatever it is, and you're a truck, an American truck simulator, you've got like millions in the bank. You're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it sounds like carnage on the roads of Steve Lysert. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it, I mean, just as well I've never played the multiplayer version of it. It's uh, best not. <laughs> as all things, games are the escape. So the PC Engine Mini then, so you say you've got one but you haven't dared boot it up. Did you Did you have that from like the original time it was released or is that just something you've purchased quite recently? Uh, well, I always I always wanted one and a long time ago, because uh, I used to work in a game shop, some guy came in one day to sell one um, and he wanted like 10 quid or something for it. He was just trying to get some money for some, I don't know, some beer, there's some fags, God only knows what. And I bought it off him at a, at a decent price and I've always had the, the actual core system, the little white system. Uh, and it took me a long time to get one with a CD drive because, you know, that was probably the first proper CD console, I'm going to say. Uh, but only, obviously, if you lived in Japan. And there's some just absolutely stunning games on it. You know, there's stuff which is just as good now as it was back then. Uh, stuff like, you know, Castlevania kind of Rondo of Blood, uh, Gradius kind of stuff. You know, it's just just great, great games. And, and I've had one, and, you know, when I've when I been lucky enough with work to, to go out to Tokyo, it was a good excuse for me to go and just go looking for games and stocking up because the stuff out there is, it's, it's crazy cheap, you know, because to them it's just like, it's like us buying Atari 2600 cartridges in, in, in a charity shop, you know, like the, the odd pound here than there. But over there you can kind of get pretty much anything you can think of in a, in a game shop. Because this, this, is, this is one of the conversations I have to have at work occasionally where in Japan, if you're looking for video games, you can go and find a specialist store which will sell video games f- across history uh, from, you know, right at the very start, kind of NES, even Famicom Disk System stuff. Uh, whereas over here, you know, we tend to think, you know, once a generation's gone out of line or it's kind of finished, that that's it. It just becomes super cheap. And then maybe in time, you know, the, the, the kind of price and the value comes back to it. So one of the weird side effects with that is, is in Japan, they don't really have nostalgia for, for old games because you can just, go back and buy that game if you want to do it. And he, one of the things when we used to talk to Sega, they'd be going like, well, why do you want this character? You know, this character's is old now. Why don't you just come up with something new? And I'm going like, in the rest of the world, people look at this stuff with nostalgia and they, they don't have easy access to the kind of older games. And so for them, it's actually refreshing for, you know, something they liked and they loved to come back and, and, and be, be in a modern game effectively. And it, and it without like with the C, with the PC engine, so you know I was able to get a load of stuff and, and play it, but it is definitely getting creaky now. You know I, I worry about plugging it in and it not working and it and it dying. So when the mini came out, and you know and, and again I ordered it from Amazon Japan, 
Uh, it's got every system, well, every kind of PC engine represented. So it's not just the Hue cards. You've got the Super CD-ROMs. It does the arcade CD-ROMs. It does the Super Graphics, which is like, literally, there was like almost four generations of console on that console. You know, it's like the Mega Drive. You get the 32X and the Mega CD. Uh, they basically came with peripherals. So as a as a way of getting a modern piece of kit, which has got all the kind of classic entries on there, you know, from stuff which is the early stuff to the very latest arcade games for when the PC Engine kind of finished and, and, and stopped. Uh, it's a great thing. Just the, the one sad thing about it is it looks like if you plug it into a, a Raspberry Pi power supply, which pushes two and a half amps in, it does something to it which breaks the controller. So you can watch the games, you can leave the attract mode on, but you can't actually play it because the controller doesn't work. <laughs> which I found out, you know, the hard way. <laughs> so it's, it's going back, it is, which is it's a real shame because I'm really looking forward to playing it. Uh, and fingers crossed, it gets replaced, and I'll, and I'll get one. And uh, next time, I'll plug it into something a bit, bit lower, bit lower amperage. I've got one on order, actually, the the UK one. So you got the, the core graphics. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it turns out that no matter what the outside looks like, the software and the, the components on the inside are exactly the same. So you, you're going to get the same thing. So when you get it, just be careful what you're plugging into, like an old mobile phone charger or the you know, the turn the USB port on your TV or your laptop or something. Stay away from high ampage power supplies. Good advice. Okay. Valuable lesson. <laughs> yeah. I, I made the mistake, so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I don't actually know when that's going to come. I mean, it's, it's sat there saying pre-order, pre-order. Just- well, you can, if you order from Amazon Japan, all of them are available from there now. And it, you, you pay about £15 extra to get it shipped from, from Tokyo. Right. And it, crazily, even in this kind of world of lockdown, mine came last week just completely out of nowhere because I forgot I pre-ordered it. It just turned up and I was like, oh, I was expecting this to be <laughs> like months in the future, not not now. Yeah, but yeah. The, the UK ones from Amazon UK look like they're going to be back in the year, kind of Christmas time. So Really? So, yeah, yeah, really. Well, that's bad. I'm kind of thinking next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, wait and see. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll have mm. to get on Amazon Japan. I didn't even know that was a thing. I'll go have a look at that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. Uh, and if you go on Amazon Japan, they do have an English site now, so at least you understand what on earth you're buying. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, strange stuff which you need to speak the lingo for. So when we're talking about all this retro nostalgia, if there's one system you'd want to go and buy right now, what would it be? Well, for me, it was the PC Engine. <laughs> it's a fairly... And he broke it. <laughs> that's why I'm good to that. Well, I broke it. You know, I plugged it in and it killed it kind of thing. So no, it's it's been probably my favourite console of all time. You know, this NES is up there as well. You know, the Spectrum Next, obviously I've ordered one because I remember the Spectrum and all the rest of it. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of flit about because I've always been into emulation. So it's good to get, you know, like Amiga emulation, play some of the stuff I used to really enjoy playing. Uh, so I don't know. I think the PC Engine was the one I was kind of looking forward to just to have something which was accurate effectively. And does the fact it's emulation rather than the real thing ever bother you? Oh, well, not really. Cause I know there's a, there's a certain amount of people who say they always like to play on original hardware. Uh, and, you know, you, you probably do get a more authentic experience. But, you know, a lot of the time buying that kit is just not practical or, you know, viable from a, from a cost point of view. And I'm, I'm reasonably technical, but I wouldn't say I, I want to open something up and start changing capacitors. And for me, emulation means I can buy something which I trust can, is going to work and, and not kind of explode. 
you know, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward actually to, uh, I think the analog consoles are making a, a pocket console and that's uh, FPGA based rather than emulation per se. And that, I find that kind of exciting. I think that will probably be the next thing where it, it's as close as you can get to original hardware, but still with the, the modern leanings of being able to plug it into a, a current TV and something like that. So, you know, I think that's the way it's going. And certainly that's the way the, the Spectrum Next is. It's FPGA. Uh, so you're basically, it's, it's hardware level emulation. It's not emulation, is it? <laughs> I don't know what you call it. <laughs> it's doing its best to represent the cycles. Yeah. And, and you know, even now, I know there's, there's, there are cases, even with the Next, where, you know, it's not, it's not super accurate if you're pushing it through HDMI. For example, the display timers in HDMI are different to kind of original spectrum timing. So these things you could do on original spectrum, you can't do on the next if you're using HDMI, unless you plug it through VGA or something else, which I find fascinating. The fact that we can't, <laughs> you can't even get it to work perfectly even now, many, many years later. But that, to me, like I say, it's, a, it's one of those things that I like it in the same way, like I used to like mobile phones. You know, you buy a new phone and you get a feature on it. You know, I bought uh, that weird brick-shaped Nokia with keyboard on either side of the screen. And that was a brilliant phone because it had an MP3 player. It was 64 megabytes. Can you imagine that? Mm. I could get about 10 tracks on it. Uh, and mobile phones were interesting because every time you buy a new one, you get a new feature. Like this one's got a camera on it. This one's got uh, polyphonic audio. Uh, this one, you know, you can create your own custom music and stuff like that. And phones now, I don't want to say they've got boring because they've become ubiquitous. They do everything. You know, you, any mobile, modern mobile phone you'll buy will do the same as any other modern mobile phone, you've got maps, cameras, and contacts, and even you can talk to people on it as well, apparently. Um, but it's become boring in a way. You know, you, you don't get excited about buying a new phone these days. But it used to be like a new phone had come along and it would be something spectacular because, oh, look, you could do this now. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. just me. It's kind of over for phones, isn't it? It's like 10 years of interesting stuff and it's kind of, it's kind of peaked now. It's just kind of, it's kind of, um, honing itself into a polished a polished fi- final product isn't it well it's, a, it's homogenous isn't it I, and you know and this is again not not to be to be mean I'm, I'm excited about the new consoles but they both are x86 based they both got you know decent GPUs and millions of teleflops of performance and all the rest of it but there's like the switch the switch is interesting because you could use it as a handheld console or you could use it as a as a TV console that's a great, for me, that's the most interesting console in a long time because you've got these two completely different modes where I look at, you know, what, I know I'm going to get into trouble for this, I look at what Microsoft and Sony are doing next and I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's great, but it's, it's just more of the same with, with more, more horsepower. You know, we'll be able to do something new with it, but where's, where's, the, where's the craziness? Where's the, the madness of the cell processor? Or where's the just complete bonkers natures of like, you know, this one does HT or online or whatever it turns out to be. I can't believe you dare bring up the PS3 cell processor. As a developer, as notorious as it was and difficult to program for. Oh, it's a nightmare. It was just a nightmare. But the the brilliant thing about it is once you got used to it and once you got into into writing for it, you discovered there were things you could do on that, uh, which are, you know, at the time, just elevated it past something else. It's the first time people, probably a lot of programmers, got used to doing kind of multi-threaded stuff, uh, simply because if you wanted to get the best performance out of it, you had to really understand how the goddamn thing worked. So, yeah, but it's still, it, it was interesting. That's that's my point. It was interesting, not just, yeah, more of the same. The battle was 
fun to get. And I guess that brings us back to the retro stuff because you had to battle to get sometimes the most basic function to appear. Maybe that, as for a developer, was in itself half the appeal. Maybe there's so much power now. And there's so many people, I'd imagine, involved making a game compared to how it was back then. You've probably got hundreds of people working on a title from the various aspects, the graphics, the audio, the uh, the gameplay mechanics, the story. The teams must be so much larger, so much money being thrown around to make these AAA titles. But back in, you know, you go rewind 30 years, the biggest challenge was, and you're looking at something like the Sega Mega Drive, okay, um, how can we add another layer in the background? <laughs> And again, you know, people produce hardware there, I and mean, the game would be made by about four to five people in that kind of era. But it, it's weird. Yeah, like you're right now. I mean, we when we did finish Crackdown, at its peak, there must have been well over 200 people working on that. And that was a complicated beast to do. So, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's mad. You know, and without you've got to be careful. You've got to make sure you communicate to people what, what it is they should be doing and make sure everyone knows what the expectations are constantly going, it's this, it's this, it's this, keep doing this, keep doing, stop doing that. That's mad. Don't do that. (laughs) So how about you, Tony, when we're talking about sort of the retro machines and you've been uh, programming on lots of the ones from the past in particular, which is the one that holds a special place in your heart? It's a good question, really. I mean, I, I kind of like them all in, in some ways. I, I, I mean, I, I buy these things on eBay. I'm always looking for for, for good examples of even stuff that I never had. You know, like a, I never had a Dragon 32, and so I'm you know, kind of looking out for one of those. But uh, you know, what interests me is, is is just the idea that these things can come back to life. So the the, ne- the next is good because uh, you know it, it's not just it's not just the original machine. It's kind of brought up to date in, in that it connects to you know, it connects to a monitor and it's got proper storage on it. So you can, you know, an SD card and all that. So suddenly it, it, it brings it back to life in a, in a, in a way that's sustainable. So, I mean, I, I'd like to see the same thing on, on all of these old machines, you know, I'd love an, an Amstrad CPC doing the same, same kind of thing where you can, you can plug it in and you can store things properly. And, you know, a Commodore 64 done the same way. Maybe there is a 64. Is there a 64 that does the same sort of there, thing? There's the 64 mini, which I think is probably as close as you, you're going to get. Yeah. And with a proper keyboard on it and all the rest of it. So. Can you program it though? Can you get uh, into I should imagine so. I mean, it's, if it's, if it's what I'm thinking of, yeah, I think you can still, it still has basic on there. You can probably connect a, an assembler to it and, and pipe stuff through. So yeah, there, there is, it's out there. So, so people are doing it. Yeah, right. That sounds quite interesting. I mean, that's that's what that's what I like the idea of. You bring these things back to life and then keep them going, you know. Maybe an Enterprise, an Enterprise 64. Get a nice one of those working again. That would be great. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, it is like, uh, I think for all these older computers, kind of retro stuff, there's still a scene of people still making hardware for these things, you know, so they can transmit stuff to it or you can load stuff from an SD card. And that, that to me is kind of fascinating that it's, it's still an allure there for people to do that stuff uh, and want to work with old hardware, you know, almost like a, go back to basics in a way, but with a few modern kind of blessings so you don't have to worry about the microdrives eating your software or whatever it turns yeah, exactly. out to be. Exactly. But it'd be good if it was mainstream as well, you know, not you know, the easier it is, the more accessible it is, the more, more people get into it and actually buy them, you know. I mean, I, I want to see these games as as, as completely legitimate and, 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 and as ubiquitous as the, as the as the modern stuff, you know, as the as the as the 
AAA consoles, you know. Let, let, you know, wouldn't it be great if the Spectrum game could be up there in the charts, you know? I'd like to bring it all back, yeah. Because the creativity can be there. People can focus on, you know, if, you, if you want to write a game, you don't need to go work for Ubisoft in Canada. You can you can get together with your mates and, and, and do something and, and it could change the industry, you know. Because there's, if, if there's the sales, if there's the players, then it, 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 in a legitimate market, then, then the scene becomes legitimate, you know, and people will be attracted to it as, as developers and players. And it could, there's no reason why not. I think there's the interest there. So if, if, if the hardware matches it and the, and the marketing matches it, then, then it could be, it could bubble up and be a real big thing. You know, that's what I'd like to see. And again, I'm obviously still waiting for my next ball of stuff I've seen of it. It makes it look like it's commercially, you know, of that kind of level of quality. If you could find someone who's willing to take it on in a, in a store and promote it, you know, WH Smiths maybe, who knows? Uh, but something like that where, you know, you can literally walk into a shop and buy one and it will become a bit more legitimate. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that just be brilliant? Oh yeah. And, and again, it's it sort of, you know, it's bringing back the industry back to its, its roots effectively. They, a lot of people bought these things and developed stuff at home in the UK and it, and it built as a fairly decent software developers. It was like a training ground for a lot of people who still make games today. So yeah, it'd be nice to go back a bit. And at university, you can you can uh, do your do your game programming course on a, on a on a Spectrum next, and rather than bloody Unity, you know. Well, yeah, and, and for me again, like sometimes I occasionally have a, have a chat with work about with designers that you know that they'll have restrictions, and restrictions force you to be creative. You can have as much memory as you like in the world, and as much processing power, and all the rest of it. But even with modern consoles, there's still restrictions of what you can do. Uh, you know, whether it's just how much is loaded in one time, or you know the expectations of being able to jump from one thing to another. And, it, and it's a thing which, you know, a lot of younger software developers don't necessarily get because they've not grown up with it effectively. Um, you know, where you've got to curb your, your ambitions based on what it is you're doing. So you've got to be clever about it and present it in a different way than you'd expect. So, or yeah. you, you try and go all out and you fail. That's that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, they should start on Pico 8 or something. <laughs> totally. That'll teach that'll teach that'll teach you about about making decisions about uh, limited resources. Yeah, you can you can have a star field or you can have spaceships. You can't have both. Make, take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're clever. <laughs> well, unless you can multiplex it. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the videos I've been watching recently. So I think it's a channel called Game Hot, and it's someone who's been working on. Well, he was a developer on things like Sonic R. And that was a game that doesn't particularly appeal to me in the past, the idea of Sonic running rather than actually being in a vehicle. Didn't <laughs> exactly make any sense to me. But anyway, um, maybe people think the reverse plane transformed. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> that's another conversation. But the point is, he goes into some of the technical challenge. And of course, Sonic R was on the Sega Saturn, which was a beast of a console in its own right with the way that was split up with two sort of CPUs, a master and a slave, and then the two, what was it, the v, VDP units, or what was it? Oh, God, yeah. That, that was a, a multi-CPU console. That you're, you're talking about the John Burton series, aren't you? Uh, Burton. I th- I th- I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But he's obviously a very clever guy. He's really good with the mathematics, and I must admit, when he's explaining the more in-depth technical stuff, I'm like going, what? 
<laughs> but still, it's a fantastic channel to watch. And it gives away these little coding secrets, like how he got so many colors into a still of an image when it was meant to be limited to far less colors and all these little things that add up to make it a very special game. How did he get the um, intro video working on the Sega Mega Drive and things like that? It was just like really fun to watch. Yeah. But the the technical now you had to have to accomplish these things was just ridiculous. I mean, we take things so for granted now. If you want a video introduction, you create a video and on it goes. There's still a lot of hard work. The, um, the levels of expectations for quality are higher than ever. But still, to actually create the video and get it on a disc, that's the easy part. It's just oh, the actual sort of thinking of the story plot and et cetera, et cetera. It's not the actual sort of technical requirement around it anymore. And I find it always fun watching those. And the real irony is I've got an Xbox One X downstairs connected to an OLED and I've been playing Doom Eternal, which is just an insanely <laughs> amazing, stupendous first-person shooter, which brings back all the excitement of the original Doom easily. It's got its minuses here and there. I don't like the jumping mechanic where I'm hopping from a wall and grabbing on. I don't get that at all. I think it's just trying to add a new puzzle element, which is I'm finding quite dull, but the rest of it is just spectacular. But then I'll go from that and then I'll jump to my Raspberry Pi 3 with RetroPie on it and play just as long with just so much happiness still in my heart. It's, and, that, and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, if, if something is compelling, it's still compelling now. It's as compelling as it was back in the day. And there's a lot of software. Let's be honest, there's, there's a lot of software which hasn't stood up to the test of time, but there's a hell of a lot which has. You know, something like, um, I want to say Super Mario Brothers 3. I remember getting that on the NES years and years back, and I'd still quite happy to play that today. It's, it's, it's tight, it's fair. You know, it doesn't screw you over like some of the early arcade machines do. Um, and, you know, it's as, as good today as it was back then. And it's, there's like a timelessness to certain software, and I, and I like that. You know, to me, it's no different than looking at a classic film or watching, oh, I watched the Long Hardy <laughs> movie with... Uh, Steve Coogan in the other day and I thought, you know, actually I'd still happily watch Lolan Hardy today. Mm. You know, it's, it's still, still entertaining. There's none other, it might not be at a modern standard, you know, where you expect certain things, but there was like a, an innocence to it in some ways. And that's, that in itself is refreshing. That's so we've got next generation consoles just around the corner. I'm not going to go too deep into Steve cause I don't want to uh, get into any trouble, but I think, <laughs> What's the, the one thing you're looking forward to? I mean, like you say, a lot of it is just there's a lot more horsepower. But what's the one thing that, as a developer, you think, yeah, this is one thing I'm looking forward to implement? Well, I mean, I, I, all I've got to go on is, is stuff that I've seen on the internet, to be honest, because uh, I've yet to get one of these kits on my desk uh, and really give it a bit of a poking. But the, the interesting thing, that I think everyone expects that more bigger horsepower. So it's got better CPUs, got better GPUs and the rest of it. But for me, one of the interesting things is the the fact all these come with like new super fast SSDs. So effectively what you're doing with that is you, you're kind of getting rid of loading time. Um, at least that's my understanding of it. So, you know, regular now you, you'll play a game and even with Crackdown, you know, you get killed. You'd have to reload the level, put you back in, reset all the variables and all the rest of it. And at times that could take, you know, 15, 20, 30 seconds. Where with these SSDs now, you can load that stuff in so, so much quicker. Uh, and so hopefully loading times, it'll never become a thing of the past, but it'll be something which you look back on and go, Jesus, we used to put up with this. <laughs> how, how, how have we ever managed to get rid of it? And so now it should be 
that much quicker. So it's going to be like playing games with a cartridge, you mean? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, uh, ironically, yeah. I mean, that's it's moved in that direction. Um, you know, I, if you've seen the demonstration, I think Sony did it with uh, Spider-Man. They showed you the PS4 version. And a lot of times we're like, luckily, 30, 40 seconds. And they were saying, hey, this is on the PS5 using the SSD. And it was like one or two seconds. It was so quick that you didn't have time to see it. To it's one of the problems we used to have with PC games because we'd, we'd do a console game and you'd have to load stuff off a CD or DVD. But it took a while to get back into level and on PC. And so I transformed out a fruit machine on the loading screen just to keep you occupied. So you could press a button, spend some coins, and you had something to do while the game loaded. And on PC, we had to artificially extend the loading time so we had time to use the fruit machine. Oh, man. So, so it's, uh, I don't know, it's, I think that's going to be something that people don't necessarily realise at first, but will we'll come to like in quite, really, really like after the while. It's funny how we're talking about these things. So you've, you've mentioned loading time, so which is very much like having a cartridge. And it was probably one of the reasons the N64 stuck with cartridge where everyone else was moving to CD. And uh, you're looking puzzled, Steve. Well, it's... I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the N64 stayed with cartridge because they wanted to have that quick loading time. I think that was more of a Nintendo thing where they were worried because uh, they had been hit with piracy and, and bits and pieces that if they moved to disc that people would pirate stuff. I think there was more that. And he, he was used to... Those guys were used to basically having having their own way and their own say, and they were used to being able to say, "Well, if you're going to pay this much money, we're going to make so much money out of it." So I don't think it was a a choice to keep the loading time down. In fact, there's some N64 games where there's loading time, which is always fascinating to me. They had to decompress stuff from the cartridge. It's like, what? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Okay, James, maybe bad example, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess one of the things I'm looking for. And it's something a lot of games in the the day try to achieve and often did 60 frames per second. So I want to now see every game minimum 60 frames per second. That'd be great. Wouldn't it? I'm, I'm a big proponent of 60 frames a second. I think it just feels better. Um, unfortunately, again, we, we've done stuff where I wanted to do it 60 and we were pushed into doing it 30 because there's a, a certain expectation of graphical quality. Uh, and you go, but 60. And they go, no, but it's got to look great. And you're like, well, you can't have both. <laughs> do maternal. <laughs> yep. Do maternal. These new machines, they, they will be 60, won't it? Isn't that, isn't that the point of them? Well, you, you, you think, I mean, again, that's, for me, that's what you would take from it. But there's always, you know, you've got to bear in mind, and this was true of PlayStation and Xbox One, that the hardware, if they stuck to 72, you would have been easily capable of 60 frames a second. But of course, as well as the increase in console stuff, the TVs were getting better. So suddenly you've got 4K TVs and you've got four times the amount of pixels you've got to draw. So yes, your, your hardware is taking a step up, but uh, you've also got to render that four times more. So your back's basically where you started. Oh. That's, why, that's why it's like Jeff Minter. They keep stuff visually simple and they come in at 120 frames a second. So That's why it annoys me now they're talking about 8K. Well, and again, you know, if you go from 4K to 8K, you're going up by... a uh, factor the four yet again so yes you've got faster gpus and you've got faster cpus but you know you're gonna eat so much of that on on a bigger screen i might be able to Do play really lemmings need 8K, 8k screens no i don't i don't think we need 8k screens <laughs> unless we've got a front room bigger than the trump tower or something i think we'll be okay with 4k yeah totally so tony while we've been doing this podcast have you thought about 
the one project that's going to revolutionise our fortunes in the retro space with your Spectrum Next? Uh, no well, pressure. <laughs> I guess. I guess I'm thinking the little the little game I'm working on, which is which I've been working on for ages, and uh, I'm doing I'm doing for I'm doing for PC and all that, and and iOS. I guess I'm hoping maybe one day I'll I'll figure out I'll pull that and get that on the next. That'll be the most logical thing for me to do. It probably it would work. I think. I mean, I'm doing it in Game Maker, which is some funny strange. It's funny, strange language they they cobbled up themselves. So, but but once it, once I've written it in that, it'd be pretty easy to port it back into C or something like that. That'd be quite nice. I, I think that's probably what I'll do because it is it is a it is a retro game. It just does a lot. It, it just does a lot of things that modern games do in a retro type setting. So it's it's like the whole point of the project is if it's like me now having worked in the games industry for. 30 years or something just going back in time and applying everything i know and carrying on from where we left off on the 8-bit days so i think this project will i think it, i think it would run fine on the next so i mean yeah that, that'll be the logical thing for me to do so yeah i've decided that during this during this call <laughs> there you go perfect if we've achieved anything during this podcast i'll be happy it's that i've made the decision on a sunday in the lockdown i mean that's it doesn't get better than that <laughs> I think with a lockdown, that does help you make decisions because you have no choice but to think about these things. It's not like you might get distracted by the boozer, is it? <laughs> I can see this has hit you hard, Steve. <laughs> I, well, to, I'll be honest with you, it's one of those things that I never thought I was that outgoing and, and wanted to be outside quite so much. You know, my, my hobbies include motorbikes and beer and the fact that I can't go on the bike to the coast on a day like today or... I can't go to the pub and go and sit and have a beer in the beer garden on a day like today. It's hitting me quite hard. Um, I'm sure I'll get used to it. Well, I hope but, we've uh, provided a pleasant distraction while you're sat there <laughs> yeah. in your pyjamas. Oh, no, no, it's, it's, it's been, I am literally in my pyjamas. But no, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been great to have a chat and it has taken my mind off it. But I know the second I take the headset off and I look out the window, I'm like, oh man! <laughs> we'll have to record episode three in a few hours. <laughs> well guys we've been recording for about an hour now so thank you very much for your time it's been a pleasure to have you both Tony we'll no doubt be talking again on episode 3 and uh, hopefully with a little bit more details behind your project maybe we can have a sneaky concept art session or something no pressure again thanks Steve for taking part Um, I hope all the lockdown eases for you soon so you can get a nice swift pint at your local and get on the old motorbike Totally. It's been great. Thanks, everyone. All right. Cheers, Cheers guys. <laughs>